0: So, as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, excuse me, we read this. When I call to remember the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in Thee also. Now shall we pray. Father, I pray as we look into Your Word this morning, You would speak to hearts. Lord, this is a sermon that I believe that You impressed on my heart. It's Your words, it's not mine. So I pray that You would use it in a special way, Lord, to minister to hearts, not only here in the auditorium, but on the live stream, the radio. And Lord, I just pray that that you would do the work that only you can do, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. In this message, I'd just like to take you uh, and to understand what a godly mother is. Uh, one of which, that when you look back on the, one's life, that mother passed away, and you can say, you know what? Mom had a great influence on me because she was a godly mother. And, I, and again, let me just say this. I realize in the society that we are today, a culture that we are in today, in many ways spells the failure of the church and its witness. Yet everybody is fully responsible for their own testimony. You can have the most godly mother, but because we have a free will, people can go out and be the most uh, evil people, even though they were raised in a godly home. So that's true. But today you have mothers who are on drugs, morally perverted, setting no example of love for God, no example of manners, no example of a meek and quiet spirit, which the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 4, these words, likewise, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey, that is, if any husband obey not the word, they, may also, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation. And a conversation is not talking about having a conversation as we talk with one another. It's talk about the manner in which you live. How you live. Your daily actions. Your daily speech. Your daily spirit. And so, by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste, that is a holy, godly conversation, manner of living. Coupled with fear, whose adorning let not be the outward adorning and plaiting of the hair, and the wearing of gold, and the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in which it is not corruptible, which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. You ever think about that, that one day we'll appear before God, a meek and quiet spirit? is of great price (laughs) before God. You know, if that's great price before God, it also says that'll be involved in judgment. Of the Christian, when he's at the judgment seat of Christ, when we're at the judgment seat of Christ, that's one of the things that will come up in that. And so, it's so important that you realize what this is trying to say to us here today. A godly woman... Can be a big difference in the home. A godly woman can make a difference in the life of their children. It'll help their children to know the life of righteousness if her children follow the examples that she has set. And therefore, if they are saved and they follow her godly life, they will not be ashamed at his appearing. So often the biggest detriment are men who live not for God, who live not a life that is righteous and holy before God. That's why it's so important that, Mother, you have that special position. So we all have thoughts of mother. I think of my mother. She died May eleventh, 1992. So uh, next year, it'll be 30 years ago that my mother passed away. And I remember those things very vividly. I remember preaching on Mother's Day here, knowing that she may die that very day. We thought she was going to die that week before. And uh, it was any moment, any day. And so I remember uh, as we saw that coming, but, I look at mom and I say, yeah, I had a godly mother. And that's a special memory. That's a precious memory. Because there's many things that I remember. Now, on the other hand, my brother Dick and I were probably the trial of her faith. Uh, you know, we did have some experiences that I remember. Now, back in that day, one of the things that ladies wore, it was a belt, but it was plastic. Now, not this heavy plastic we have today. It was so light, uh, it would even be hard for a man to hurt a kid spanking them with it. I mean, they were just really a light plastic belt. I can't tell you what Dick and I were doing because I don't know. I just know that we got in trouble at the same time with her. And she took it off and she spanked us both. Now, I learned early that with mom, if you went, ah, what? Oh, I'm so sorry. She'd stop, whether it hurt or not. She'd, she'd start out like that and then she'd be going, you know? When he did that with that, ah, ah, that was like saying, sick him to a dog. <laughs> Just kind of different for both of them. I remember one time, Dick and I, we got that spanking. We walked in the bathroom together and locked the door and busted out laughing. And I think that's where my mother started coming up with the phrase, when your father gets home. She actually one time said that. She says, I'm leaving. I've got to go away for a couple hours. But when your dad gets home tonight, I'm going to tell him what you've done. Dick and I, in all the great wisdom that we were created with, we went into dad's bedroom, found every belt he had, and hid it in the attic. I mean, we did. We went through, and we found every belt we could find and hit it. And sure enough, when he got home, mom kept her promise. She was telling him what we did. We knew we had it coming. But we thought we would outsmarted them. You know what my dad did? He took his belt off. <laughs> we weren't counting on that. I mean, I started crying for you ever hit him because I thought, how stupid could a guy be, you know? And, boy, he wore us both out. But you know, I think some of the, one of the things I learned more was with a guy that, his name is Jimmy Driggers. <laughs> Jimmy and I, Jimmy's about two years younger, but we, we was in the same church, same youth group. His dad was a deacon. See, it's always the deacon's kids, it's not the preacher's kids. <laughs> but uh, my mom and dad, they'd rarely done this, but this time they did it. They were out of town I think it's a whole week. Uh, there was some kind of a preacher conference. They got invited. They were putting them up in motels and everything, and they wanted them both to come. Now it was a nice thing. My brother Jim, my brother David, were already out of the house, and so I thought, you know, we, we'd be home. They, they had one of the uh, men in the church would come over and stay with us at night. He, he and his wife, Dick worked a job. We both worked a job. We both worked. Uh, we both worked for winn Dixie. And they would just stay at night, but then it was getting Friday night, and they were going to be with us that night. And so they told us, you know, don't get in trouble, you kids, you know. And Sure, yes, sir, we won't get in trouble, you know, we told the people. (laughs) We lied a lot. Uh, But Dick gave me his car. Dick had a 66 Volkswagen. But he was responsible to pick me up, take me to work, and come back. And so he had the night off that Friday night. I'm working. He doesn't want to come back and pick me up. So he says, take my car. I'm going to ride with his friend. So he did. So I got home from work. I'm by myself. So I called up Jimmy Driggers. (laughs) Jimmy's a preacher today. But called him up. I said, Jimmy, I've had this idea for a long time, and I want to do it tonight. Would you like to go with me? He said, sure. What? I said, let's go. We live in Bradenton. I said, let's go all the way over to the beach. And I says, you know that beach drive where it's just that packed down sand and you can just drive right over? It? Yeah. I says, I'm going to drive back there to the area, the picnic area, and, and get one of those outhouses and tie a rope and drag it out to the main drive for in the morning when people drive through they're they're driving into an outhouse. I thought it was funny. Jim did too. So, so we get there. Now what Jimmy didn't tell me he was going to do is bring a dozen eggs. We are going over the bridge where the men, the senior men, by the way, would fish off of. Now that I'm a senior, I don't fish off a bridge. Okay. But they were leaning over the bridge, you know, with their fishing poles and all that. We're going by over that bridge, we're going slow, and all of a sudden Jim goes, and he's straightening one up after another, all the way over. I said, well, let's go back to Bradenton now, (laughs) you know. let's, Let's not stay here. Drove back. I said, Jimmy, I still want to do that. Let's go back. Now we figured we was gone long enough. Those guys are home, you know, and telling all the stories about it. Now we got back here. We we did drag it out into the middle of the beach drive, and those guys came up. One of them, Jimmy, had hit, dropped his glasses, and they it broke a little thing or did something to it. And, boy, he's hollering at us, and I just got paid. No, Now, I had $20 cash, and that was a good paycheck for me. I guess part of that was tips I got. But I gave the guy $20. I'm thinking, okay, we got away with this. No police, no problems. We're fine. We drove home. Next morning, Saturday morning, I get a telephone call. No, I didn't get it. My dad got it. But he's out of town. (laughs) Hello, uh, is Dr. Bloom there? I said, no, sir. uh, He and my mother are out of town. They won't be back till next Saturday. And he gave his name. He said, I'm so-and-so. I am chief of police out at the beach there. And he says, do you own a 66 Red Volkswagen? I says, my brother Dick does. Then I made another mistake. He says, do you know anything about the incident last night? I said, which one? (laughs) Honestly, I did. He said, the one at the beach. I said, yes, sir, that was me. He says, well, I own the ice cream stand out, the parlors out there that had a little restaurant ice cream. He said, I want you to meet me out there at 2 o'clock. I said, well, Dick has his car today, and I, I don't have a way out there. He said, well, I'll tell you what. You'll be out here at 2 o'clock, and it's about 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. He says, you be out here at 2 o'clock, or I'll send a cruiser by. We'll pick you up, and then we'll see you on Monday morning. I hitchhiked. I mean, I was going to be out because I believed him. I got out there, walked into that little ice cream parlor, and he's waiting for me, and then... All the people look at us walking out, so I know he's told the story in there. And he starts on me, you know, I don't know if I'm going to the electric chair by that time or not. But about that time, his wife drives up, gets out of the car, and she says, is This the guy, is this the one that pulled that outhouse in front of the breach drive? He, he shook his head, Yes. And she looked at me and she says, Boy, and I said, Yes, ma'am. Did you open the door, see if anybody was in there? And she started laughing, and her husband rolls her eyes. And he says, okay, you see me at the truant officer's place on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. So I went down there saying, what's my sentence going to be? Well, uh, ended up I uh, didn't really have any kind of a penalty from it, but I knew my dad's coming home next week. The deacon's son got in the same trouble, so we're both down there. Sunday night in church, I went forward. I mean, there's a guest preacher. I got up, I said, folks, I let down my dad, I let down my mom, I let down my church, I let down my Lord. I said, I did some things last night that were totally wrong. I said, I'm not going to tell you, but I just want your forgiveness. Everybody knew. I mean, once that gets out, you know, everybody knows. Then I knew that dad would be home next Saturday, dad and mom. And I'm I'm just afraid of that. I'm so glad Saturday I had to work. I was hoping I'd have to work till 10 o'clock that night, but uh, I did work to end up about 9.30 uh, before I got home. So I worked, went home, went to bed, and got up to go to the bus ministry in the morning. Then I stopped in my dad's room to say, um, Dad, I need to tell you something, I told him, he'd already heard it. And he gave me some words of wisdom. Okay, and then so that was about the end of it. You know, I didn't get killed that day. But the greatest thing that hurt was never spanking from my dad. The greatest thing that ever happened to me happened about three or four months later. Now, Mom had never gone away with Dad on these trips because there's us kids at home. But they were invited to come, and they were going to put them up for a week, and they had a place where they were going to go that uh, he was going to preach there, and they wanted to bring he and his wife. We got there, and sure enough, that's what they were going to do. But Mom wasn't going to go. I thought, Mom, I know what she went through. I knew the things that she'd go through. But she didn't go. So I was in there, I said, Mom, you need to go. You need to go. I said, really, this would be good for y'all. I know how hard you work. I know what you've got to go through and all this other stuff. I I was really trying to, I mean, I had a right heart. I wasn't thinking about, I'm not doing something else again because I wasn't about to do anything like that again, you know. She said, and she looked at me, and tears were coming down her eyes. She said, Son, I really want to, but I can't because I can't trust you. Now, she could have taken a butcher knife and slammed it into my chest, turned it around 10 times, and it wouldn't have hurt as much as that did to know what I did to my mother. Now, fortunately, and no, she didn't go. She stayed there. But fortunately, about a month later, she needed to go to Tennessee. This time there's another brother that's in trouble. Uh, But we went up there and got a motel She read the Bible to me and all that dad we usually had devotions, but she had it this time because it's just her and I. And she got on her knees and said, Let's pray. And I listened to her start praying. And she was just crying like everything because of my brother. I was wanting to kill my brother after that, you know, but it was like that. It was just oh but to see that as a mother, she had that love. But as I heard her pray, I realized she was concerned about our spiritual life, not the bad things that we did. Now, she's concerned about the bad things because they reflected on her spiritual life. And her prayer was that way. And you see, that's what you call a godly example. Now, this message is not about my mother, but I guess I've said so much already. I don't want to spend that time there. But what I want you to know is this. So often a godly mother does have an influence that when a boy five years later down the road or just a few months later as it was with me, you don't ever want to hurt your mother that way again. Now I think of two Bible mothers, and this is what I wanted to get into, or two, two examples from the Bible of mothers. One is Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She married Elkanah. Elkanah uh, was married to someone else as well. He married two, and so she marries Elkanah. God had said one man, one woman, that was it. But Elkanah married Peniah and Hannah. Peniah has children by him, but Hannah has none. She's barren. But Paniah really rubs it in. Why? The jealousy's there, of course. And it's an ongoing thing. Elkanah should have listened to God. He should have listened to God, but he didn't. And when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it shows some of the competition <clears throat> when they go to the time of the yearly sacrifice. And we're told there that uh, as they prepare and they're going to do this, Elkanah gives to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But to Hannah he gave a worthy portion for he loved Hannah but the Lord had shut her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut her womb. We'll read later at the in that chapter. They're at the temple there now, and it's not the Old Testament temple that we'd think of. It's a different one, but she's there. And the Bible says that she's in bitterness of soul. The other wife is rubbing it into her. She has no children. She goes in there. And crying, she prays at the altar. She pours her heart out to God. She's praying. She's moving her lips. But words aren't coming out. She's not praying aloud, but she is praying, and she's moving her lips. She's forming words. It's just that others can't hear it. Eli, the priest, sees it. <clears throat> he thinks she's drunk. He says, you shouldn't be drinking. He starts telling her about that. She says, sir, I haven't drunk. I'm not drunk. I haven't been drinking. I got a burden. I've taken it to the Lord. She told him what it's about. She says, I promise the Lord to give me a son, I'll give him to the Lord to serve him as long as he lives. After I wean him, he belongs to the Lord. Eli heard her prayer, uh, request she shared with him that she made to God. And sure enough God gives her a son. she weans him, And after he's weaned, she takes him to the temple, presents him him to Eli. She comes up once a year because she makes clothes for him, clothing, but that's all she sees him. She gave her word, she sought to live godly. And we have two books named after her son, Samuel. A great prophet of God. But God also blessed Hannah. He gave her sons and daughters. Because of that son. Because of that first one she gave to God. She's given three sons and two daughters. You see, she had to give it all to the Lord, and the Lord blessed her after she did it. Now, God actually blessed her before she did it, but God was working on her heart, and she responded to the Spirit of God speaking to her heart. Your mother here today, like Hannah, I don't know if she was the first one or Peniah was the first one to marry him. But regardless, make some mistakes in your life, sin, God can still forgive it. And He can use you. He used Hannah to produce a great man of God. Her conversation was such that to follow in those steps, she could have a victorious life. But then I think in our text we read, the unfeigned faith—it's not fake. That's what uh, unfeigned is not fake, not a put on. That was in thy mother Lois, no, in thy mother grandmother Lois, and in thy mother Eunice. Lois, the grandmother. That faith, faith is the doctrines of God's word by which we live. You teach it to your children. Lois taught it to Eunice Eunice taught it to Samuel and so he was able to say the unfeigned faith that was in your grandmother and then in your mother and I know is in you you see now Timothy still had to make a decision to walk in the word or not but he had a strong influence on in how to live it to walk in the word to walk according to the will of God and two books of the Bible are addressed to Timothy, a man of God. Now, again, here are people that may have made some terrible mistakes, sins, but they got it right. You're still walking, you're still breathing, you're still alive. God can change your life, and he can use you and and make a difference. He even said there that we read earlier, by the conversation, by the way that, uh, that wife lives, the way that mother is, the way she is can have an influence that that man that she married, maybe she was out of the will of God, but they got married, he can end up getting saved. He could end up being used of God. Now, precious memories that were sung earlier reminds us of those kind of mothers. They are precious memories. It'd be great to have your own children have those precious memories. But you know what? That doesn't happen unless you're saved. So I ask you, you know if you died today that heaven's your home. Not asking you, have you been baptized? Did you join the church? Did you get confirmed? Are you doing the best you can? Not asking any of those questions. I'm asking, was there a day where you realize that Romans 3.23 is true? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is short of what Christ is. And the wages, what we've earned, what we have coming to us. We've earned it, we deserve it. The wages of sin is death, final, complete separation forever from God in the lake of fire. But the gift, (laughs) that's not what we earn. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Received through repentance and faith in Christ. But let me add this. When you become a child of God in that matter, then there starts a life just like a baby that's born. and That baby begins to grow. We notice the changes. We notice the maturity. We notice the different things in their life. It's a special thing when they take their first steps. It's a special thing when we hear their first words. It's a special thing as we watch as they grow and the things that happen. But you've got to be a mother that instead of seeking to make your daughter the most or your son the most popular in school, instead you're out there to make them the most righteous, through the help and power of God. But let me ask you another question. You say, "Well, I'm saved. That's great. It really is." You know you're saved. Yeah, I know I'm saved. Great. If your son or daughter is in an accident today and their life is hanging in the balance, do you have power with God? Is your Christian life such a walk with God that there's that power of God there that He would hear your prayer in their behalf? Well, I'd be praying it seriously, that's my child. Yeah, but you see, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You see, we can talk about failing mothers, but that's not the point. The point is, because there's, uh, by the way, there's failing fathers that are worse than the failing mothers. But the point is simply this. If you're not right with God, Don't expect your manner of life, your manner of living to have an influence on them. Every boy and girl is born into this world. Every one of us were born into this world a sinner. We inherited a sin nature. Every one of us are born needing a Savior. But God gives us parents that hopefully are saved and can guide us in the way we ought to go. But, I wonder, is your conversation, that is the manner in which you live, see, it, you can say what you believe, you can say how it should be, but what you live is completely different. Oh, you can be one thing at church, and something else at home. My friend, the important thing is that you're saved, but it's also important that you live it. That you live it. You do God's will, God's way. You see, it's not just your life. If you have children, it's their life too. There's a lot of conviction that comes to a person's heart because someone witnesses to them. But a lot of people don't have a witness. They may not be around a person that will witness to them. They may not be around a person that will be a Christian that will encourage them in the ways of righteousness. And only what you've taught and what you've lived can be the witness God uses in their heart and life. To convict them. To bring it ever before them. Because when they're old... They can't depart from it. That is, it'll keep pricking at them. It'll keep pricking at them. It'll keep pricking at them. It'll keep biting. It'll keep biting. They can't get rid of it. Train them up in the way they should go. And they won't depart from it. That doesn't mean they will never do wrong. No, that means they can't get away from that teaching. It'll always convict them. If you're not saved, first of all, get saved. Make sure that you know that if you die today, that heaven's your home. Then secondly, Whether you are saved or not saved, you've got to get saved, but then make sure that you're living that life and you're being that person, those children, uh, Lois, grandchildren, what they need. Be that person. Let's bow our heads, please.